This podcast is from the Junior Cycle Talks channel. We hear from four teachers who taught Junior Cycle students during the period of school closure in the last school year. They are discussing how they kept the learning active when teaching remotely and are sharing what active learning now looks like in their physically distanced classrooms. My name is Evan Devenny. I'm a science and ICT teacher uh, based in Dale College in Rafaul, County Donegal. It's under Donegal ETB. We are a mixed school with an enrolment of just over 600 students. We're a JESH school and we use Google Apps for Education for our online learning platform. My name is Tanya Morrison. I'm a chemistry and science teacher in Bunkrana, County Donegal. I'm also teaching in the AETB sector. Um, we're a Google Apps for Education school also. Um, we're a mixed school, approximately 700 students. Uh, we're also JESH. My name is Dan Campion and I am an English and history teacher based in Presentation Lockboy Secondary School, Kilkenny. Our school is made up of all girls, approximately 750 students in total, and we are a voluntary secondary school. Hi, my name is Gillian O'Hearn. I'm a special needs teacher in a special school in Montanati in Cork. We have approximately 100 students with moderate, severe and profound learning difficulties. And we are currently implementing the level one and level two learning programs. Thanks, everyone, and thanks for taking part in this podcast. So I'll start with you, Gillian. Before school closure, what did a typical learning experience look like in your junior cycle classroom? In my junior cycle classroom, I have eight students with moderate learning disability, and it's a very hands-on approach we take, uh, very tactile, using concrete objects, uh, learning either in one-to-one with the teacher or SNA or in small groups. Um, we also could learn through song, through drama and PE. In the special school, every child has their own IEP and they have three specific targets that are set out at the start of the year with um, parents. So we did find it very difficult when lockdown started to access these IEPs and also to report on their learning outcome. We sent home the goals to the parents and we helped them as best we could. We broke down the steps that we would be implementing in the classroom. Uh, So we really did depend on our parents to help us and to help their child and our students to achieve their individual educational plan. So Tanya, then from the perspective of a mainstream teacher, what was it like catering for the uniqueness of your students, taking into account their own learning needs and preferences? Well, thankfully, Claire, our school um, was very much using an everyday teaching and learning, um, the virtual learning platforms that we have within the sector. So whenever we did go to lockdown, absolutely, there was a period of adjustment for everyone and all of the teams and the structures within the school very much uh, came together. So, for example, our SEN coordinator was on the phone with parents talking about the individual needs and how to achieve the targets for the students who needed um, more individual care, more individual learning styles. And that was um, translated back to the classroom teacher. Um, There was a combination then of both live lessons and recorded lessons to suit the different styles of the different learner. And also, even within the platform of, for example, Google Classroom, you're able to make 
copies of homework or uh, assessments or uh, any of the presentations adaptable and suitable for the particular student that you're teaching. And that's done in a very subtle way that none of the other students would see that particular copy. It looks like it's the one version going out to everyone. So there's a lot of safety in that, even though you're individualizing work and, and working to a particular set of targets uh, for each individual student. And I suppose part of that would have been giving individualised feedback on students' work through the learning platform, in your case, Google. Jan, you use the same platform. How did you manage feedback? Well, our school is a Google school, and therefore we availed of Google Classroom and specifically asked students to upload any work they had using a scanner app to make sure that we received their pieces of work as PDFs. Now, this allowed us to make sure that we availed of the private comment box when it came to giving feedback to students. And as a staff, we made a decision that we would try to focus on positivity over criticism, bearing the students' well-being in mind, especially during an incredibly anxious period. Now, a number of teachers expressed a desire to give more expansive feedback. And with that in mind, a number of teachers downloaded an extension called Kami, which allowed teachers, especially teachers of languages, to give annotated feedback. And again, this was in response to teacher demand. And it also allowed us at the same time to prioritize necessary over unnecessary feedback during the lockdown. And Google Classroom was particularly good for this because it meant that we could align our feedback to students on Google Classroom to the the success criteria that we had co-created with the students at the start of tasks or assignments that we put up for them on Google Classroom. So Dan, you talked there about how teachers were able to give formative feedback to students. Could you tell us a bit now about how peer feedback was done? Look, this was a highly sensitive area during lockdown. So we made a concerted effort to, for example, share a typed Google Doc with a whole class. Now, and this might be a typed up version that the teacher has come up with based on a sample of student work. But I guess there's a, a keen sense of, I suppose, student well-being here because you want to give students, perhaps who desire so, an anonymity or a security or a safety when it comes to discussing a piece of work. And uh, again, when it comes to, I suppose, giving that feedback, it's to make sure that you're telling peers to base their feedback around the co-created success criteria that you have come up with as a class. Obviously, you've given students or you would hope you've given students some scope to say, well, this is what a successful piece of work would look like before you begin to piece things together. And then obviously the teacher will have to step in at some point and scaffold that. But make sure that that anonymity is given to students, um, particularly in a sensitive period like this, because the way we discuss uh, our classmates work is not the same as it used to be but I would say that you know should god forbid another lockdown happen uh, google docs uh, are a really good way of allowing students to collaborate with their peers but also a really good way of sharing and modeling samples of work which allow for a, a collaborative classroom response as well. So Dan you're really linking feedback to co-created success criteria there those formative conversations between students and their teachers. And of course, the strength of the student-teacher relationship impacts on the quality of those conversations. So Gillian, how important is that relationship on students' well-being, but also as a factor in their learning? We found at the start of lockdown, we were sending emails to parents of ideas to do some very simple worksheets. And some teachers were sending work over on Seesaw. And the feedback we were getting was, no, they wouldn't do that for us. No, sorry, we're struggling today. So what we decided to do was to go on Zoom. And the minute the students saw the teacher, 
and they saw their peers, they began to interact much better and they were doing a bit of work. The parents were delighted. They actually couldn't believe what they were actually able to do or maybe capable of doing. We did a lot of cookery classes, fitness classes and scavenger hunts all on Zoom. And they worked much better when they were able to see the teacher and relate to the teacher and also relate to their peers. So it took, took a bit of pressure off mom and dad trying to get some of the work done. And we were also visually able to assess and record over Zoom. And they definitely interacted much better once they were able to see their teacher. Tanya, your setting is different to Gillian's. How would you describe the importance of that relationship between student and teacher, but also students with each other? Yeah, I would find that relationship in terms mainly of student well-being to be vital. Initially, during lockdown, for some of the lessons, when the instructions were given maybe in, in a written form, we were getting feedback from both students and parents that the students actually missed us and they'd like to see us online. And for some, there was a fear factor there to put yourself on the screen and beam into students' homes. But once uh, once we got over that initial sort of anxiety, um, we realised how much fun we could have during the teaching and learning also. So, for example, it wasn't just one-way traffic where you'd be there talking away into a screen and hoping that they'd stay with you. It was very much an interactive space and you could have good crack with it whenever you'd have, for example cahoots up to check in on learning at the end so even though the student might be there at a device they all have mobile phones and they were able to interact in that way and I also felt it was great from the point of view of both teaching and learning to have a routine and to have a structure with each year group they knew exactly when I was coming on for a live lesson for example and I made full use of the functionality within the suite there to take attendance also but in saying that on the flip side of that we had to be aware of the individual needs and challenges in each family setting in terms of devices and in terms of their own home setting so the recorded function was there also for students to be able to pick up maybe if they couldn't make the live lesson so having that sort of fallback plan for a student who couldn't be there at that particular time also worked but I certainly found that seeing the teacher was very important and and actually uh, very motivating for the student and the family seemed to appreciate it also. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that uh, parents are feeding back the value they see for their children and having that real-time engagement with the teacher. It's also, I suppose, important to hear directly from students themselves and planning for their learning. And maybe it's a bit harder to know what they think when you're distanced from them. Evan, tell us a bit about the approaches you took to capture student voice. Well, I think it's kind of related just to what Tanya said there. And I suppose the number one factor for effective teaching and learning is a relationship. And I think it's okay in a classroom where we're in physical contact with the kids and we can see the kids. In an online space, it's very different. And I think a lot of us at the very start when it came to March 12th, it was mainly like, how do we get work to the kids and how do the kids transfer that work back to us? It was kind of about how do we get that two-way communication going? But I suppose for ourselves and our school, what we looked at, we looked a little bit more about the student agency and student voice itself and linking that to the actual learning process. So what I found was setting short little tasks on Google Classroom every day. One of the tasks might be a 3-2-1 activity from a video, and then they have to submit a comment. Another task actually was one to get the full family involved as much as possible. So things like Earth Day for 2020, where I got them to go outside, take photographs of things in nature, either around them or a local park. So it was anything like that, and to be interactive with the picture. Uh, as well as that, I got them to do like exercise videos for the heart rate. So instead of obviously doing an experiment, got the family to do it. But again, the kids loved that because they could record it on 
on Snapchat or TikTok. And I think to give them the actual choice, and I was very careful in terms of science when I was setting small little tasks. I know my colleagues were the same, that we didn't want to overwhelm. And I think that was the biggest one was we're trying to link to their well-being. So give them a choice on what they want to do. So we kind of went down the road of universal divine for learning. Basically, more like the kids, okay, you can write a story. You can do a poster if you like. You can make a video if you want. And the best thing about having an assignment on Google Classroom, only you yourself can see it. And I know there's different platforms out there from my own experience, just using Google Forms, where you could set it as a quiz or you could set it as an assignment. And you kind of got really nice, interesting feedback from the kids. They liked the live classes. They liked the fact that they could do it whatever way they wanted. It wasn't do 10 questions out of the textbook. You know, it wasn't things like that. It was more active. It was just encouraging them to take ownership of their learning. You talked a lot about student-centered learning there, Evan, where students are making choices and their voices influencing what their learning experiences are. But now that you're back in school, thinking about some of those things that you found successful during school closure, have you been able to bring any of that with you back into the classroom? What I have kept going as I've come back is the online learning space. I was using Google Apps before lockdown. Uh, I was very consistent over the lockdown, but even now today, when I'm still back in school, I'm just as consistent. I have an attitude that, well, if any student is absent or if we had the lockdown again tomorrow, what can kids access? So every simple thing is going to be on Google Classroom. I also ask students to submit homework still as assignments. I know they did it that the way through online learning. So again, it's just literally take a photograph of your work and upload it that evening just to keep that routine going. I think coming back into the learning environment school is the masks and the screens in front of us are real physical barriers to the students but it's trying not to let those physical barriers uh, get in the way of learning because I think we're so anxious and everybody's really excited and anxious supposed to get back into school but I know that the masks and everything can be a physical barrier because you can't see the kids smiling you can't even for science for demonstrations it's a completely different playing field so it's trying to keep an online learning space as well as in school and just to keep that momentum going as much as possible bringing those lessons from online to what we are doing now I don't think I could ever go back where it's literally I've got you for four classes a week and I won't see you next week I think even just having that online space where kids can communicate with you even if it's during a school day or anytime they're struggling I think it's very important. So among the big changes for your students this school year is that they have better connectivity to you as their teacher and also better connectivity to their work and that's due to how you use your online learning platform. Tanya what were the big changes for the teachers? So in terms of thinking about what we did well over the last few months, certainly there is a massive atmosphere of collaboration within our um, staff, within the teaching staff, the SNA staff, uh, all staff under the roof of our school. There's a, there's a huge atmosphere of collaboration and it's grown organically because uh, teachers know that our best support system is probably each other. So within our own school setting, we're certainly cascading out anything. Our ICT coordinator did a fantastic job of um, gathering up from the students' point of view how they felt lockdown went in terms of uh, being a learner. And from that, we were able to diagnose and roll out some in-house training to cascade out learning from those who are comfortable in this particular space and with particular apps and with particular websites, um, because we all have our different strengths and weaknesses. I personally talk a lot more to the students about what we are going to learn, uh, the learning outcomes, and we share intentions with them. And, And by this stage, I would like to be here. And the students are much more aware of my plan for them and they can input into that also. Evan would you have any advice for teachers so in terms of sharing resources certainly but also sharing good practice? Yeah, I think since the 12th of March, we've seen so much support and sharing of ideas amongst teachers. Um, I even noticed myself within the ETB sector, the amount of sharing and collaboration and support that teachers have given each other is incredible. And I've never seen it actually before. 
don't be looking at all the massive different types of technologies. Look at what your teaching and learning experience for your students are going to be and match the technology to that. Um, I agree with Tanya there talking about collaboration, but I know collaboration is not just the sharing of ideas, but collaboration is also about teacher reflection. It's like mm-hmm. what works well, what doesn't work well. And we see that during online learning. There is a wealth of resources out there that you could use before COVID. But now it's more like here is a resource. Could this work now in an online environment? I think teachers could, and in terms of a professional point of view for any ideas or any resources, I myself find Twitter actually very good because I connect with educators, not just within the Donegal ETB, but outside our ETB and also internationally about different platforms and different ways of doing things abroad. I would also encourage teachers to set up kind of a shared template or share drive as such to kind of share with teachers different ideas, share with people in your own departments, even just things like, say, for instance, Microsoft Teams or Google Classroom. And there is no right way and wrong way of online learning. If the kids are getting a learning experience that is matching what your cohort of kids is, then you're doing a fantastic job. Evan and Tanya, you've both talked a bit about what's changed in terms of the experience of the student and of the teacher and what you've learned and what you've changed about your own teaching now that you're back in school. But I suppose part of what we're always thinking about is what if we're in a situation where we're teaching remotely again in some capacity? Tanya, how do you prepare for that? Within our own school setting, we're sharing what will happen if plug is pulled and we're working from home. For example, yesterday I had first years and they are the students who haven't been trained up yet in all of the online platforms that we use. The other year groups are very much due to lockdown aware of how to use everything. So today when we were doing a science lesson, we had out the Chromebooks and I said, okay, let's imagine now you're all sitting at your kitchen tables and we're at home. How would we do this? And talking with the students and going through a live lesson with them and showing them how to submit work and showing them where I'll put my feedback and comment very much in the mind of teachers that are up and down the country but also we're seeing it at the moment there are students for various reasons who are not present in the classroom and so I would always put up what I did that day for the student who is at home who may be able to keep up with the work and even down to homework or assessments so it's like a digital diary so that um, the resources are there should the student be in a position where they can use them. Dan, your setting is a voluntary secondary school, so you don't have the sector level response and resources that Tanya and Evan spoke about. How are you preparing for different teaching and learning scenarios? Uh, yeah, look, it's been an interesting experience when you compare now to before lockdown, because we did a survey at the start of lockdown to see how many teachers in our school were on and were using Google Classroom and between 50 and 60 percent were using Google Classroom at that stage but many people I suppose hadn't used the full functionality of it. Now a survey as recent as last week revealed that every single teacher in our school is actually using Google Classroom uh, to some degree. Uh, Obviously some are using it to a greater extent than others in terms of its functionality but it is extremely reassuring to know that every teacher is on the platform should the need arise for work to be entirely delivered to students through a virtual learning platform and in terms of then I suppose a a whole school approach well we've been given freedom I suppose to approach it department by department or on an individual basis as we so wish but the the key focus was to make sure every teacher was comfortable there has been no demand for teachers to produce a slew of live classes or recorded classes although there are teachers who are doing that we found that when we did have a number of teachers use live classes and record lessons on things like loom and screencastify the experience of students and, uh, from lockdown re- 
really informed our view going forward. Um, students right across the board from first to sixth year expressed, I suppose, a degree of fatigue when it came to maintaining concentration levels for long periods of time. So therefore we decided that, you know, if a recorded class was going to take place again, our whole school approach would be to make sure that we hit students for between five and ten minutes, uh, either through a live lesson on Google Meet or Zoom, or if we were going to have a recorded lesson on Loom. We also decided that we were going to try and have uniformity when it came to uh, the use, I suppose, of um, things apart from Google Classroom. So if it was a recorded class we were going to use, we decided that we would give small in-house training. A small group of teachers would give a bit of in-house training to a number of teachers with things like Loom or the Kami extension, um, which, which, which can help for, I suppose, correcting documents when it comes to annotated feedback. And that essentially a small group of teachers would try to, I suppose, carry out a, a, a teach me type scenario to make sure that there was a uniformity if when it came to the use of you know technology for recorded classes and ultimately this uniformity would mean that there's a greater chance that students can help each other um, if there is a, you know a student with a number of teachers all using the same technology. So Gillian for your students who are following the level one learning program what's your plan? As Dan said we're definitely as teachers more prepared and we're ready and we have better IT skills and from listening to parents' feedback and students' feedback, we found out what works best for students with moderate, severe and profound learning disabilities when remote teaching. So we're working off the Seesaw app currently, and at the moment we're just asking parents to upload photos or upload some work um, that their child has done at home just to get them familiar to the Seesaw app just for fear we do go into remote learning again. Um, we're also sending home resources so the teachers are currently making resources in the school uh, making uh, ring binders with language and communication resources in it and also the parent or the teachers in the severe and profound classes are making sensory boxes to help with tack pack activities or connection activities and stuff um, so we're not putting the burden on parents to get these resources the onus is on the teacher and the SNAs to make the resources and before the zooms because we are going to do a zoom daily with the classes if the pod are a bubble going to lockdown so we're constantly making these new resources sending them home we're sourcing them from places like deals or little and sending them to mom and dad and as i said so the burden is taken off the parents and all they have to do is log on to the zooms daily and keep going with the seesaw app we're also using those pictures and videos then as an assessment and for recording and reporting purposes on l1 lps and we'll find it very beneficial so hopefully it'll keep going so Gillian, you talked there about using pictures and video and other types of evidence of learning for assessment and reporting. And Evan talked to us earlier about giving students choice of assessment to support their well-being and also to develop student agency. Dan, what are your thoughts on that? And also, is there a link between varied assessment experiences and skill development? You know, I, I, I'm interested to know how many teachers may be availed, and I think quite a few did, but how many teachers availed of, um, you know, alternative learning experiences or assessment such as, you know, conducting interviews over lockdown about, you know, your student experience or uh, an audio presentation or recording about, you know, um, what work you've had to do for a particular teacher. Um, obviously, we want to elicit evidence of learning. And that is important. But if teachers are planning their lessons, 
their effective questioning, their learning intentions and their assessment and as well as that student reflection around you know the key verbs within learning outcomes and making sure you're trying to design tasks that you know activate meaningfully those action verbs uh, within learning outcomes then I think the key skills um, are taken care of very well by teachers in our classrooms. In relation to planning then Evan there will be teachers or subject departments who may be looking at adjusting their planning this year to take into account what students have experienced over the last few months. Have you any advice? Um, I think a majority of people in schools and subject departments have probably adjusted their plans. I think that there can be it can be a different approaches, but I would always try and go back to, as Dan said there, the learning outcomes. And I'd always look back to the actual student learner experience because the student learning experience is at the center of the curriculum. Whether that ex- learning experience is going to be in class in front of you, whether it's going to be online or whether it's going to be a mixture of both, it's still the reflection of that learning experience. And it, I suppose we're always talking about are we going to have a hybrid approach, are we going to be a blended approach, are we full out of school, are we online? But I think at the end of the day, the conversation needs to shift towards the actual teaching and learning and the effectiveness and the quality of that learning during lockdown. It's trying not to restrict the learning experience, but to change the learning experience a little bit. It's trying to work kind of more strategically in that sense, if we cannot physically do this. Is there some way virtually we can do it that the experience itself isn't going to be harnessed? Um, I think at the end of the day, it's making the effective use of the platforms. And as Tanya was saying there, you know, the digital diary. And it's trying to have everything on these Google Classroom or Microsoft Teams or whatever platform that you're using is to keep maintaining that. But I think at the end of the day, it's always the learning and it's the teaching and learning experience the child's getting. And it's trying to be as active and as fun as we possibly can, even in these circumstances. It might not mean your traditional sense or traditional strategic methods that you used to do, but it's trying to revamp them, give the students ownership, give them that little bit of agency and try and we work around so that the experience itself is still effective as much as you can. This podcast was created by the whole school team for the Junior Cycle podcast channel. To find out more about our podcasts, resources or to get in contact, go to www.jcg.ie or follow us on Twitter at JC for Teachers. Thank you for listening.